0: The second piece of that is having job demands that aren't excessive. So having a job that's clearly defined that is doable in the amount of time that you have to work. The other piece of that is social support. And a lot of that comes down to having a manager or a supervisor or could be the owner of the business who is able to support employees' personal and family life situations because people are not just machines. As much as we want to sit a person as a cog into a wheel, people have whole lives outside of work.
1: You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Coke, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Jackie Koch. And today I am joined by Candice Elliott. Candace is a fractional CHRO and HR mentor for businesses and nonprofit leaders. She focuses on the intersection of public health, organizational, and community development, and helps leaders foster cultures of healing where they and their teams can thrive. She has a master's in HR from Penn State, the SPHR certification, and has been practicing HR for more than 10 years. She's also the mom of two little boys, both under three. So today we talk about a lot of different things as it relates to HR, but I think the thing that you're going to take away the most is about how you as a leader need to pay attention to when you're starting to feel burned out, step that you can take to set yourself up in a way that you can actually support your team. You want to build a sense of community within your organization, and you can really only do that when you're not maxed out. And so we go through really practical steps to make sure that you're avoiding burnout so that you can support your team and really build a thriving community. So I'm so excited that you get to meet Candice and listen in on our combo. Cool. Candice, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited that I got to meet you and that we're sitting down to chat today.
0: Me too. I'm so excited to be here, Jackie.
1: Okay, so let's kick off. Can you share a little bit about your entrepreneurship story? I love when I chat with entrepreneurs, hearing a little bit about how you ended up doing your own thing and becoming an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. So the start of my entrepreneurship journey was actually quite a long time ago. I started my first business when I was 23, which is 15 years ago now. But it was a travel company, and I did bus tours in the southeastern United States. So I would take snowbirds who were living in Florida to Key West and Savannah and New Orleans. And we had a tour that went to the Gulf Coast. It was serendipitous how I ended up owning this company. I met a guy in a bar who needed help, and it just happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's not what I was expecting at all. And how awesome is that? But it tracks then helping people have experiences and do all of those things. So much of the customer service, I imagine, that went into that probably set the stage for you figuring out and being successful in an HR role then, because that's a lot
0: of what we do, right? Yeah. I like to say actually that I learned how not to do business through that company. I think I made every single mistake that there is to make <laughs> in that company, but I also learned QuickBooks. I learned how to do direct mailer marketing. I learned how to run the operations of a very small business. I had a few staff who were working for me. I ran payroll. I coordinated tours, but ultimately at the end of it, my business partner and I just decided it wasn't the right fit to keep working together. And Mm. I came back to California where I live now to be closer to my family. And that's when I decided to go back to school and to learn human resources because I wanted to work in people and culture and building culture and in business. And I felt like that was a good fit for me. You
1: went back to school. For me personally, I also went back to school and have an advanced degree. But I feel like I don't want to diminish the value that I got from going back to school. But to your point, I learned so much more like in the trenches, actually building a company. I'm so curious, your thoughts, having built a company young, then going to school, you did it the way that I probably should have where I went to school and then built a company where, you know, if I was building it and going to school at the same time, it probably would have been more effective. But I'm curious your experience.
0: Yeah, I knew when I finished being involved in that company that I wanted to start my own business again at some point, but I felt like I needed to learn more before I did that. So I did the master's in HR program and it was an online program. And I was also working as the HR manager for a restaurant group. And I feel like that was just such an interesting synergistic experience because I had problems that were happening at work that I could could bring to school. And there were things that I was learning in school that I got to apply in my yeah. workplace. But I for sure agree with you that there's no substitute for real life experience.
1: There isn't. And yeah. I guess for any listeners out there thinking about making the jump, like you're never going to feel ready and you'll figure it out. You yeah. will. Everything is figure outable. So now talk a little bit about what your business is now and how you support small businesses.
0: Yeah. So my company is called Fortress and Flourish, and I am really focused on supporting smaller nonprofit organizations and small businesses with values aligned human resources. And so I do a lot of compensation studies, so creating fair and equitable systems of pay. And then I also am a thought partner for executive directors and CEOs and owners of companies when they're trying to think through strategic HR things. So a lot of times people who come to me have gone somewhere for advice, but they have found that advice doesn't quite fit with what they want to do or with their values or their Mm -hmm. ethics. So we think through more nuanced and fresher ways of building systems for people, because I think a lot of the systems that exist, if you look at the research, they really come out of industrialization. And then they come out of the fifties, a time when we had single earner families for much of the country, not all people, but the ways that we have built work come out of these older times. And we have different things that are happening now that we need to adjust to. And and so we're in this interesting in-between period. And I feel like there's a lot of hope for the future and a lot of really great things that we can do, but also it's really challenging for business owners and executive directors.
1: Yeah, I've never thought about it in that way. And you're so right. We are in this cusp of not only just with remote work or flexible work schedules or anything like that. There's so many other aspects of how work is that is set up from historic reasons. There are no actual reasons for some of these things. I love that you bring that up because I've never actually thought about it in that way or put words to it in that way. And that's such a great explanation. It's like
0: we've inherited these things. Yes, thank you. you. Even the minimum wage, for example, it was created in the 1930s. It was meant to bring people out of poverty. But we haven't had an update to the minimum wage since I think it was 2009 federally. And in a lot of places, including where I'm living right now, which is one of the most ridiculously expensive places in the country, that minimum wage is actually forcing people into poverty. And so we created this system to address this issue. But if we don't keep updating it, then it doesn't work the way we want it to. So it's like
1: thinking holistically about why you're doing stuff, not just because. And the Mm. other thing I think, not only policies and rules and employment laws and all of that stuff, I do think when you talk to some folks who've been in HR for so long, they're very black and white. And you can do this, you can't do that. And if you actually think about it, there's far less right and wrong and a lot more, let's, talk about impact and let's talk about the nuances. Because I don't know about you, but I'll have people reach out to me, like leaders, and they'll be like, I want to do it right. Or is this a law? Or do I have to do this? And I'm like, no. And there's just this like confusion that they have to do so many things versus the conversation around why you might want to. It's like
0: there's a spectrum of choices that are in front of you. And there are different risks that are associated with different choices, but you can decide where you want to fall on that sort of Mm -hmm. spectrum. I feel like too, a lot of people who are on the receiving end of HR feel like it isn't really supportive of them. Like HR is a four-letter word. You don't want to deal with HR.
1: My job is to protect the business and to help things work better together. It's hard. It's such a hard thing to work with sometimes, but you're right. Like people do look at us as the bad guys when it's like almost everything I've ever had to do with my clients or in my full-time jobs. I didn't have the final say on. I'm just doing it. My only hope is that I get better at influencing decisions, right? Cause that's really the only thing I can do, but that's a whole nother podcast topic. Totally. What I really wanted to dive into chat with you about today, because you do so much work in nonprofits and, and so much of the other stuff you do is about building thriving communities. And as a small business owner and folks listening to the show, they often want to make an impact and they want to make a positive impact on their communities. And I want to chat with you a little bit about that, but it Where we start is I'd love to just chat through what are different types of communities that your business actually can tap into when you say you want to make an impact?
0: often when we have this idea of wanting to create impact, we can think that we need to start with something new, but we don't necessarily have to do that. We can start with what we have. So we might have employees. We might have clients. Hopefully we do if we're mm-hmm. in business. We might have participants if we're running a nonprofit, for example. We might have a board of directors and we might have vendors that we're working with. And so if we're wanting to create impact, we can start by doing that in these relationships that we already have. Other relationships that we might already have could be with professional associations. So maybe it's a chamber of commerce. You might have relationship with your elected officials. If you don't, I would definitely recommend reaching out to them and starting to build that and other kinds of professional organizations.
1: And we didn't even actually talk about this before we hopped on, but as we're chatting through, I'm thinking HR is often tasked with coming up with the give back program at a company or the volunteerism program. And we're not usually trained on how to do this any more so than you as the owner are. But as you're sharing some of those communities, that's where you should start. If you want to start to have a program of giving back and making positive change instead of creating these huge grants that you give. There's so many easy things to do first, right? And have you helped companies do some of that before?
0: Yeah, I think when we talk, especially about employees, because I work with companies and employees a lot, there was this really interesting study that was done by a Harvard professor. Her name is Meg Lovejoy. And she looked at this thing that's called the job strain model, which is very academic HR stuff. But she was saying that there are these really impactful ways that are evidence based that make a huge difference for your employees. One of those is being able to have control over your job. So like stable scheduling, knowing what your schedule is going to be, being able to flex if you need to, being able to be out for the afternoon if you need to do that, if it's shift work, being able to swap with people. The second piece of that is having job demands that aren't excessive. So having a job that's clearly defined that is doable in the amount of time that you have to work. The other piece of that is social support. And a lot of that comes down to having a manager or a supervisor or could be the owner of the business who is able to support employees personal small and family life situations because people are not just machines. As much as we want to sit a person as a cog into a wheel, people have whole lives outside of work. And so many people who are of working age are not just themselves, right? They may be taking care of children. They may be taking care of elderly. Six out of 10 people in the United States have a chronic health condition. That's way higher than I would have expected.
1: And also you spend so much of your time working alongside of your coworkers. It's inevitable that they impact you in some way. And I don't know about you, but if I were to think back to my network and even some of my favorite people in my life are people I worked with. Like they shaped me. Even to my first job working at Joe's Crab Shack, I worked there forever. If you work at Joe's Crab Shack in high school and you have to sing and dance, it really helps you turn out a certain way. It's why I am what I am. But those people I worked with shaped me. And I'm so fond of them still 20 years later. So it is such a big place and a big place where you can create a great community for your team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we spend 50% of our waking hours at work. And if you think about people that are commuting, which is shifting maybe for some people, but not for everyone, it's more 50% of our waking time is at work. And so the content of our lives at work has a huge impact on who we are as people and on our relationships and on our involvement in our community. I think as businesses, not just as creating their own little community, but also they really impact more broadly through those other relationships like clients and vendors Mm -hmm. and other things. Totally.
1: So I know there's this trend. I'm lacking the word I want to say for it. So I'll say trend. You can correct me if there's a better word for it, but I do feel there's a lack of community. You need community to have a thriving life as a human, right? And strong communities are leaving us, like they're fleeting us, and it's causing a big problem in our country for, or everywhere in the world, I imagine. And I think you mentioned it uh, known as the loneliness epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about that because if you're a manager, I think it can feel overwhelming. Like you're trying to keep the lights on. You're trying to pay people's salaries. You're trying to give them benefits. You're trying to make sure they don't have a lot of work. And now you have to keep them from feeling lonely. Like it all just feels like a lot. I'd love to dive into a little bit about what you're seeing in that and ways that you as a manager can help people in feeling more connected to other people.
0: Yeah. So we have really full plates, right? And we keep adding more and more on our plates. Actually, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that we're 400% more productive now than we were in the 1950s. But that doesn't mean we're working less, right? It just means we're adding more and more to our plates. Mm-hmm. So if you're a manager, that's feeling overwhelmed by caring for the people who are working for you emotionally. That is completely valid. There is a lot that you're doing. There's a lot that everyone's doing. One of the first things that I do with people who are having that challenge is just starting by looking at the workload and what's going on. What do we have here? What do we have to continue doing? Or what do we want to continue doing? What do we really love? What are the things that we're going to pause on right now in order to have more capacity for the things that we need or want to do? And then what are the things that we're just going to fully stop doing? And as a manager, if you're a middle manager, for example, you may not have complete control over what the stop, pause, continue things are. Some of that may be dictated by what's happening above you and then what is happening with your team. But I find that in most people's worlds, there is some ability to start stopping to do things or start pausing things. And I think there's this hesitance to do that, right? It's Like, But if I'm stopping or if I'm pausing on something, that means that I'm not good enough or that I'm procrastinating and procrastinating is bad. But really, if there's a way to build into your schedule a little bit of flexibility so that if something is happening, you have the time to deal with it. You can eat up that time with something else if nothing is going on, right? But if you need that time for yourself, for example, or if you need that time to help one of your staff with something that's going on, then you have the ability to deal with it when it's happening instead of just being triggered by what's going on. Oh my God, now there's this thing and starting to feel resentful about that person or your relationship with them or starting to feel like they're not a good employee because they're dealing with maybe some mental health crisis or some physical health thing or they need to go grab their kid from school or something that day.
1: Yeah, you hit on something that I feel like could be missed, but is so important. And that is you likely have more agency your day-to-day than you want to give yourself credit for because it's easier to blame your boss or the business or something like that. And I don't know about you, but I find when you actually dig in with people, they quickly realize, oh, that's my
0: fault why I'm overwhelmed or not doing something. Yeah, that is such a good point. I think that we can get stuck or we feel stuck and we can't affect change in our own lives. And so then we feel at the mercy of what coming towards us and we get into this sort of reactive pattern. But if it's possible to just back out of that a little bit and have the sort of high level view of what's going on and assess it, that can really help. You just need this little bit of a pause to look at it from the outside.
1: Yeah. So workload is a great place to start. And I imagine that's for when you're trying to create more of a sense of community within your company or
0: your team. Without that, if you don't have the time or the capacity for it, it's like you can't do it. It, Yeah. It's a weird place to start with community as like workload. And your
1: own workload. And then I imagine once you've done it for yourself, like helping your team then do it as well. Do you have any advice for somebody listening to the show if they have somebody on their team saying they're maxed out and they're like, how is this person maxed out? Everybody on my team says they're maxed out. I get so many eye rolls and so many frustrated managers because they feel like their team doesn't want to work. They're constantly saying they have too much work. They're constantly saying they're stressed. And managers, I think, just get so annoyed of hearing it that they just don't even actually work through the problem. They think, oh, I'll just hire somebody else. But that doesn't solve often the problem, right? So like any advice on what they should do if they have teams who are doing that to them?
0: Oh, yeah. I feel like if you're hearing this from everyone on your team or multiple people on your team, there's probably something going on that you need to address. It may not actually be the workload. It could be, but it could be the person job fit. It could be that the person's job has changed since you hired them, like you hired them to do one thing, and then now they're doing something that's, totally different. It could be that there are more and more responsibilities that are being added to this person and you don't see that part of it because you're handing the work off. You don't see how much it has grown over time. Also, different people have different capacities for doing things like switching up what they're doing and taking on additional mm, work. It's interesting. Yeah. Some people are really good just like staying in their lane, doing the same thing every single day, and that's all they want. They don't want to have a lot given or oh, they don't yeah. want a lot of change. Other people thrive on change and they want to be given different tasks and things like that. And also people's capacity for dealing with that can shift and change based on what's happening in their lives. They're having for some reason right now like chronic insomnia that's making them unable to think creatively. Like They may not be able to take on that mm-hmm. creative project that sounds really fun and exciting for you as a manager that you really want to do, that maybe your team just doesn't have the capacity for it. So I think It's not always, let's look at all of your tasks and make sure you have enough time to do them. It can also be having these conversations about, okay, it's not just about the task. It's also about you as a human and how you're doing and how you feel within the system that we've created Mm -hmm. here.
1: Oh my gosh. That's the best advice because it is, it's holistic. Okay. Once they've created capacity to start to think of supporting their team, that sounds so messed up, but it's like you have to
0: create it. Otherwise it won't exist. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Then what? What's after that? Yeah. So once you have the capacity, you may need to do a little bit of a culture shift with people because it maybe has been that people feel like they can't come to you with issues because you have been so busy, right? It's like someone comes into your office and they're like, Timid, but they need to talk to you about something that's really important, but you don't really have time to do that conversation or you don't have time to really focus on it. So you're distracted. So that damages the trust relationship that you have with your team, right? If someone has something that's really challenging or really sad or really hard for them, and they don't feel like you're actually listening to them when they come in the room, that is really harmful. So when it happens, when someone needs to talk to you about something, if you don't have time, you can say that, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of something right now that I can't stop. I want to talk to you about this. I know this is really important to you. Come back at X time. And then when they come back, Put all the things away, turn the computer off, put your phone in a drawer, make it so that you can't see what's happening outside if you can avoid that. And really focus on the person who's in front of you and see them as a person, a human, not just like an employee of yours or someone who's supposed to be acting a certain way. Treat them as you would treat a friend, maybe not in as familiar a way as you would treat a friend, because you may just be needing to listen and take in some information from them and let them know that you're there for them and that you're going to support how you can, and you might not have answers at that time. And it's okay to say, I don't have answers right now, but I will get back to you and we'll work on this together. So working with people, making it feel like you're a team instead of this hierarchical type Mm -hmm. of relationship. And people can do both. You can, as a manager, fill both of those roles with people. You can help people like it is when you need to and you can also be there with empathy when that's appropriate.
1: Yeah, and you should do both of those things. If you're a good manager, you should be doing that. Okay, so you just unpack something that I don't want to just gloss over and that's the, I'm going to call it the distraction epidemic because you're so right. It's like a death by a thousand cuts, I guess. It's like trust erosion by a thousand cuts or something where if you're distracted for your team, every time they interact with you, it's what you do, not what you say. And I can think of so many of my clients or leaders that I work with that I'm on calls with them
0: and they're distracted. And it is really bad to be that way. I'm reading this book right now. Actually, this is really timely that it's coming up. It's called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. And so mm. he talks about all different kinds of ways that we are distracted and why we're distracted. Like our phones are designed to distract us, right? Our tablets are designed, even our email is Designed to keep us inside of it as long as possible. So, each of us as individuals dealing with these sort of systemic things that have been created to be the way that they are. And also, there are some things that we can try to do as individuals that can help us be better in our relationships with each other. And one of those is being able to focus on and listen to challenging conversations when they're happening. For sure.
1: And also acknowledging that something may be challenging to somebody else and easy to you. So just because somebody comes to you with an issue that you're like, why the hell is this even that hard for you? Like it is so easy because it's easy for you to do those things doesn't make it easy for them. And I have to do this in my own personal life because I'm very committed to working out and being healthy. And I can get very judgy of people who don't do those things. And so I have to check myself a lot with that because I'm like, you just have to take personal responsibility. It's not that hard. And so that's one example, listeners, that it shows up for me. And that's just in everyday life, let alone at work. And I imagine you see that often too with managers as they're just like,
0: why is this such a big deal to my employee? Yeah. I was talking to someone recently. They're like, I've written SOP. Like, it's all there. I'm like, there's something that's getting missed. <laughs> I know. So true.
1: Okay. So if we think back to the two suggestions that you've had so far or the steps of building community, it's creating capacity for you to actually think about it. Creating meaningful spaces for people to communicate with you as their leader. Those things don't seem that hard to me.
0: Those are pretty simple things, right? You would think, but in being able to create the time, it's hard to do. And being able to actually really be there in the moment is hard to do. And then I think that third piece is the follow up. So you've created the space, you have been present there for the conversation, and then there's some follow up that's going to need to happen. And that is like where the rubber meets the road, right? maybe it's just you're delivering information to them, or maybe it is that there's some kind of a change that needs to happen to how the work is happening. So yeah, it sounds easy, right? Just make the time and be there. And in a way it is, right? If you prioritize it and you decide you're going to do this, then it's completely possible to do, right? It just takes the prioritizing of it and the deciding to do it. And that's the tricky part.
1: For sure. Do you have any tips for listeners on hacks on how to keep it top of mind or anything that you coach
0: your clients on doing? Yeah, block it out. Block out time in your calendar where you don't schedule anything other than just have space for things that come up. I am guilty of this, right? Like my calendar is insane. It'll just get packed fuller and fuller with things. And I let people like schedule things onto my calendar, have this link that people can use to do that. And so if I don't block out time where no one can put anything, then I will just end up completely busy from the start of the day to the end of the day with no time to talk to my team or answer emails or any of those things. So that's a hack and a really simple one that you can do that can help with this.
1: For sure. Or even I guess what comes to mind for me is like set in a sauna task for yourself. Yeah. Follow up with so-and-so or a reminder or I do so many delay sends. Like this is not necessarily totally relevant to what we're talking about, but to do new hire review check-ins, I pre-schedule the emails are going to go out to the people. I do it on their first day and they don't even have to think about it again but it's like getting into the habit of doing those things can be challenging. But there are so many things you can do when you're thinking about it so that it happens in the future. And I think we forget about those tools that exist.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good point. It's like when you're doing the initial thing, setting anything that you can as a reminder that will happen in the future is, yeah, wonderful. hack,
1: pro hack. Okay, if I'm gonna recap everything we talked about is it's so important to create a sense of community within your business. Employees are already, existing communities that you have. And we talked about really how to start to get clear and present in order to do that. And that's step one. But I almost feel like we stop here because people can't do any of the future things because this is probably the stuff that is stopping them from doing any of the future things. So it's like focus on those. And I feel like we should do a second follow up of, okay, you know that you have great relationships with your team. You have the space. Like, How do you create a sense of community within your employees and within your team? I feel like we should make that be a full episode in and of itself because there's so much to unpack on that. What do you
0: think? I think so. Yeah. Okay, let's do it.
1: I wanted to also ask you, because we highlighted it a little bit in the conversation, is not having the space to do these things and being so overwhelmed often can result in burnout. I know that's something that you
0: help people with and you help people through. Can we chat a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I start working with people as they're feeling like they themselves are burning out. The calendar situation where you've got a million things and you're always double and triple booked, that's you. Or if you feel like you keep putting your team. So if you're hearing, I have too much of a full plate from your team on a regular basis, and you can't figure out why that's happening, we'll start by talking about what's going on with you as an individual human leader person, and then what you're hearing from your team and what one actionable step is that you can take that will make a huge difference for you and your team. I do, they're called burnout buster session. And for listeners of the podcast, I'm offering them as a free gift. The link for that is going to be below. Amazing.
1: Take her up on that because getting clear
0: on these things are going to help
1: you leading your team so much and also just for your own sanity (laughs) for sure. And trying to beat burnout before it becomes a thing is ideal. But unfortunately, we don't tend to notice burnout until we're already burnt out, I think. At least that's
0: been my experience. How about you? Same. I was having a panic attack in my car and shaking and unable to breathe before I realized, oh, maybe I've been doing too much. Yes. Maybe I shouldn't have added all of those things. Yeah, (laughs) totally.
1: Candace. it was so great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really hope that we get to do this again and you can come on the show a few more times because i think we can talk about a lot of great stuff
0: thank you so much it's been wonderful being
1: here jackie awesome okay listeners go book your free burnout session and tell us how it goes well i want to know personally she'll know but i want to know what you do and what steps you take to combat it and the results Are you ready to hire a recruiter to help you in your business? Exciting news for you, that can be me and my team. And we believe that the recruiting industry is due for a major upgrade in its recruiting and fee structures. So we have a completely different model than other recruiters out there. We have transparent pricing and transparent fees. Go check out peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting for how you can partner with us and let us do the hiring for you.